the show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to the Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course, and today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer Dexter. Hi ho! We write for SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website SifPop.com to keep up with those. We have a great show for you this week. We're going to start off here at the pitch, which is now, so we're on schedule. That's great. Uh, can't guarantee anything for the future. But after that, we're going to move on to coming attractions, where we're going to be talking about Hamilton launching on Disney Plus on July 3rd. This is Friday. Uh, and then we're going to give our thoughts on uh, the SIF topic, which in this case is nostalgic movies, movies from our childhood that we want to decide, should they be left in our childhood or are they okay to bring to our adult lives well? Uh, and we're going to explore uh, a B-plot answering a question that Dexter had, and then we're going to wrap up with the spinoff. But first, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. So Dexter, when did you realize that you had a passion for movies? So my passion for movies starts with my passion for storytelling. I have always been interested in stories, stuff like that. I like to write fiction and things like that. And it over time evolved into, you know, movies, film. And the older I became, the more I realized that I just could I, I wasn't really into the popcorn genre it evolved much more into I, I i love golden age cinema so i uh that that is my that is my jam and yeah so since then i have gobbled up every old movie i can i can think of very cool hey what was the what was the movie that you realized that the movie I realized. Yeah, the movie that you realized that popcorn cinema, Fast and Furious, is not for you, but but Golden Age is for you. Actually, it's it's Fast and the Furious. Uh, <laughs> so Which one? I, the original one. Oh, the original. Yeah, the original's not very good. No, it's not. That and the the second one, Too Fast, Too Furious, that probably cemented it. Now, granted, I I, I do love popcorn cinema still but i have a keen love for golden age things that are where they were inventing what we love today well very cool don't hear that too often today but uh and so when did you get involved in writing for sifpop.com so it was the first 10 weeks i i met blake he and you know he asked me if i'd be interested in writing i wrote an article on uh the first one i wrote was for child swap uh, uh the shazam one i can't even think of what the category would be i don't have a clue because i don't think i was writing at that point so i wrote on beauty and the beast the uh animated one. Oh, so no i do remember that one i was writing for it at some point um uh because i wrote for big on yeah, that one, yeah yeah so yeah i wrote i wrote about uh, Beauty and the Beast, and they, they they liked it, and I I write from time to time. Do you remember, have you written anything besides Best Ever Challenges? Have you done any reviews or any special articles? Uh, I think 
I think technically I had the very first special article. So when I submitted the Beauty and the Beast snippet, they actually asked me to expand that into like a, a thousand word essay type thing. And they then Blake added some uh, bits about, you know, being re involved like with Shazam, how we could you know, cross contaminate it with that. And yeah. That's really cool. I had no idea. I'm really interested in that though. I'm gonna have to check that out. Cool. And then I have one one just ridiculous question for you. And that is uh when you buy Pop Tarts, which one do you buy? S'mores. S'mores? Yeah. Uh that that has always been my, my go to. Uh I haven't had Pop Tarts in a few years now, but when I was in college, that is yeah, that is what I ate most mornings. Yeah, s'mores used to be my go to also, but Something about frosted strawberry just hits me in the in the four year old and uh, I, yeah I, I love the frosted strawberry I, I I like the blueberry as well but yeah they have they have some new put, flavors coming out that's uh, like they have like a chocolate pretzel one that's actually pretty good I think they did they have a, a I think they had like a root beer one a while ago. I don't remember that but I would probably not eat that uh, yeah I my buddy sent me a picture of it and I was like oh my gosh what is that root beer needs to stay in soda or root beer barrel candy consistency and nothing else cool well uh well let's go ahead and dive into the coming attraction then this week we're going to be talking about Hamilton Hamilton is releasing on Disney plus on July 3rd it is the story of Alexander Hamilton throughout the Revolutionary War and his political journey. Really spoke, focuses on those areas. Uh, musical, Broadway musical, written and starring Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm sure you know about Hamilton, or at least I've heard of it, if not just because you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. But it's a really big pop culture phenomenon right now. And uh, I'm curious, Dexter, what are your thoughts on this movie? I am so excited. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen the musical. Okay. I've listened to the soundtrack. I can't tell you how many times. Sure. I absolutely love this. So when they announced that they were taking the, the actual Broadway filming that they did and bringing it over, I was so ecstatic. You answered my next question, which was going to be, have you seen the theater performance? Now, did you see it with the original cast or did you see it? Like on a travel crew? Uh, yeah, so I, I saw it down here in uh, Houston, and it was a, yeah, it was the traveling company. I saw it. I mean, it was the worst seats in the house, the very last row, but it was, I, I want to go back and see it again. So, yeah. So typically we're going to do a, a, a sort of anticipation rating uh, or anticipation meter, rather, in this, but since it's a streaming, it's going to be a little flugged. So if this were releasing in theaters, how excited would you say you are on the scale of you'd be there opening weekend, opening night, you'd be there, but check out a matinee showing, save a couple bucks. Uh, you'd wait for theater and rent it. Uh, you'd catch it whenever it hit the streaming service, or you'd probably just never watch it. Uh, I'm going to do one better. It would be a midnight screening. If not, trying to fl fix my way in there a little earlier if I could. So You know, I... I've seen the stage performance of this as well. Um, I saw it, it came to Des Moines a couple years ago, and I, I got tickets for that. Pretty similar to you. Had a, not the worst seats in the house, but definitely not not near the best. Uh, I saw that, listened to the soundtrack quite a few times. I, 
you know, I, I, I agree with the sentiment, but also I, I just don't think I could watch this at midnight. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty long play. I have a really bad history of when I was in high school, I would go to these midnight screenings and, and even most of college, you know, I'd be awake for the whole thing and still be up for hours afterwards. But, you know, it all started right about the time that Rogue One came out. Like Rogue One is one of my favorite Star Wars movies, but I actually fell asleep at the midnight screening because I was just so tired. And I hate myself for that. I mean, the, the same thing happened to me, but it was with the, the Hobbit movies. Oh, yeah. I, every time I have seen The Hobbit, I have fallen asleep to it. Yeah, I, I did as well for An Unexpected Journey. I didn't see the other two in theaters. I saw the second one. Yeah, no, I saw all three in theaters. And in all three, I there were midnight screenings and I fell asleep during the midnight screening so hmm. you know I, i'm an old man i guess yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm not quite there but I'm, I'm getting there but yeah i agree i agree with that sentiment though uh, i'm really excited for this this was initially supposed to come out next year it's supposed to have a theatrical run before it hit disney plus uh, i'm curious if they're still going to do a theatrical run because i think people would still go um because there is a difference between watching it in your living room and seeing it on a big screen with a nice sound system and most people don't have nice decked out sound systems yeah uh, but people you know People that do, you know, maybe aren't going to necessarily go. But your your average Joe, I think, I think would still go buy a ticket. Or people that just don't pay for Disney Plus would go. Yeah, I mean, if if you can get into like a, a Dolby Cinema where you're going to have that very immersive sound experience, I if if it is in theaters, I I would recommend seeing it. Yeah, I'd go. I mean, but because it'd be available on Disney Plus, you know, I might actually just try to grab a matinee. You know. Yeah. Yeah, There's that, not really a purpose, but yeah, that that would probably be me as as well. But yeah, I definitely agree with your sentiment. I'm really excited about this. I think I'm a little bit opposite of you, though. You you are really excited that they recorded the Broadway and are airing that. See, I'm happy they did that, but I would much rather a Les Miserables type where they they get to tell the story, getting the original actors. That would be my stipulation. Is making sure you get Lin-Manuel and Leslie Odom Jr. and David Diggs and uh, uh, the guy from Mindhunter that plays the king. I just, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Jonathan Groff. That's him. Yep. So I, I think that would be my stipulation. Is I'd, I'd, I'd like to see this done like they did Les Mis in 2012, but I'd like to see it done with the original cast. I, I, I liked seeing the play. But I left the theater expecting probably the best theater experience of my life. And I, I didn't. I had seen the Book of Mormon about a couple months earlier. And I still think that's probably my favorite because. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Book of Mormon is, is my favorite as well. Well, and here's, here's the difference is, is I knew each of the soundtracks, front and back, left and right. And, and the same goes with Dear Evan Hansen as well when I, when I saw that. I, I, I knew everything about the soundtrack. It felt comfortable to me. But I think that for Dear Evan Hansen, there was an enhanced experience of seeing it because you get to experience some of the emotion, you get to experience some of the connecting pieces, and you get to experience, first of all, just the Dear Evan Hansen soundtrack is a little confusing at times because most of the people sound similar enough. You, you're, it's hard to dictate who's saying stuff. Okay. But it was that theater experience totally changed that and made the album make a lot more sense. Whereas uh, the Book of Mormon did something where I was laughing at the lyrics, listening to the song. But then when I went and saw it in person, it elevated that comedy to another level because Tree Park and Matt Stone are just hilarious. And they oh, yeah. the visuals in that play are, are incredibly funny. And they're 
they're they're really interesting and they bring something new. And I just I may be an outcast here. I just don't think Hamilton did that. I think that the choreography was less than outstanding, except for the backup dancers, because anytime anybody's singing, they just walk to the front and stand in the spotlight. And it's like I, I like how in the Book of Mormon, Elder Price is walking around while singing and he's jumping and leaping and he's not just standing somewhere, he's interacting with things. Where I just feel the background dancers in Hamilton are doing some really interesting things, but I, I, I feel like if, you, if they made it into a movie, they might make it a little bit more of a visually appealing story. I think, I think Hamilton probably works better as an audio than as a visual in its current state. I, hot take for me. No, I mean, I kind of agree with you. Like, Hamilton very much depends on... So when you're seeing it, it is, makes it so your mind is filling the, the stage. So you have very sparse, you know, very energetic chorus and dancers, but Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, let's just go back to Book of Mormon where you have, I mean, I don't want to even say very complex sets, but it is more in the sense of like, when you you go and see Book of Mormon, they have a quasi replica of the, you know, Mormon tabernacle in uh, Temple Square in Salt Lake. You know, it's very indicative of the mood that you're seeing. And then the the actual background is changing and it has the like the Manti pageant interludes and Book of Mormon for me is a much better visual but the I, I I just I love the energy of of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think I think I think the music carries it really well. And I'm you know maybe I'm curious. We both had not great seats seeing it in the theater. Maybe our experience will be different. When I saw Book of Mormon, I happened to get a really good deal because you know I live in Iowa and there's just not a ton of people in Iowa. And yeah, I managed to catch it in the Quad Cities at the Adler Theater, and I. Off of off of SeatGeek, I got tickets that were like the third row from the front, kind of at the end of an aisle. But we showed up to the show, and there was nobody else practically in our aisle. So we moved to essentially third row, like aisle seat. So we were front and center, and maybe that enhanced my experience. And and since Hamilton was in the back, and even for Dear Evan Hansen, my my in laws are season Ooh. ticket holders and got us some really good seats for Dear Evan Hansen. We were probably. 15 rows from the front kind of just just stage left is a really different contrast seeing Hamilton uh, but I also mm-hmm. saw School of Rock kind of in the same seats I saw Hamilton and I I enjoyed that kind of the same way I, I think we saw Mean Girls about the same place and but I, I, I had a really good time at Mean Girls I I, I just I, I feel I felt lacked uh, when I left Hamilton and also maybe it's because we paid little to nothing to the other performances uh, we paid like sixty dollars to see School of Rock, and I paid one hundred twenty dollars a ticket to see Hamilton. Maybe, maybe that's why. And I, I just don't know, but yeah. uh, maybe that will enhance the experience, or maybe because we did get the travel actors, we didn't get the main cast. I, I particularly hated my uh, Aaron Burr. He, he had a, a very nasally, whiny voice to him, and oh, and it, uh, it, it added. He he had a smug personality, which I think added some context for some lines, like a little extra emotion behind them. But for the most part, I was very unimpressed with him, and I almost wish they let the underwrite <laughs> perform that show. But the Hamilton was great, the Washington was great, uh, the Eliza was great. I just they they were all they were all great except for him. And so, I mean, I wonder if seeing it 
in this presumably 4K on Disney Plus is going to be a different experience. And if seeing the original actors and maybe there's different choreography, I doubt it, but maybe they're a little bit more, especially I think they recorded this like one of the last performances they all did together. So getting a little bit comfortable with each other, kind of getting more comfortable with the choreography. I mean, a lot of it would be muscle memory at that point, but like, when you're at the end of your run, when you're performing live, I mean, you, you tend to take some liberties and, and try to make some things a little bit more interesting. I, I hope that's my experience. Yeah, I, I mean, if if it is like one of the last shows that they filmed, uh, if it's one of the last shows that they performed that was uh, where they filmed it, it kind of makes me a little bit more worried. I was listening to an interview with Josh Gad, and he was talking about his experience on book of mormon and he was talking about how the very end of his run he was it it was muscle memory and he knew that he wasn't giving his all and then the audience couldn't reciprocate that that energy because you know he's on his way you know he's yeah so i i am kind of interested to see how this this is going to turn out now i mean Disney did buy it for an absorbent amount of money. I know they they probably know what it is. Now, here's I have I have two questions. Uh, one, with this being released at a very wide platform, and you know we talked about even potential theaters like movie theaters. How long do you think that the play is going to continue going on? I mean, especially it has a permanent place in L.A. and a permanent place in Chicago and a permanent place on Broadway right now. But that's because they're selling out every single show and you know, the traveling crew is selling out every single show. How, how long do you think that these shows are going to like the live performances are going to last, especially since this is a recorded live performance of the original Broadway cast. So this is probably a twofold answer. This is probably going to drive more of an experience, more of a, you know, people who don't typically would get to see it. They might, watch it on Disney Plus, and then, well, I, I now want to go experience it in, in person. And then you're probably going to get people, well, I've seen it now, so I don't have to go see it in theaters. So it's going to be one of those things where I I think it's going to amplify it. I, I mean, Hamilton is already so big. Uh Sure. I mean, there's no stopping this giant. Like, it's. I'm not saying that with the release of Disney Plus, it's not going to come back. It's going to come crashing down. It's, it's going to have a long shelf life. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't think there's ever been anything like this before. I mean, there's been adaptations, but I don't, I don't know that there's ever been, at least to my knowledge, a, a recording of a music of a musical, especially this popular that that was, you know, just put out there for everybody. I mean, Newsies kind of did that, but Newsies was is nowhere near as popular as Hamilton is. Yeah. And especially there was already a movie version of Newsies before they put out that Broadway recording one. So, yeah, I'm I'm just trying to think like because Hamilton it feels like it's a reinvention of the Broadway musical. Uh I feel like the transition from Book of Mormon to Hamilton is a very apt description of how musicals are are transforming. Book of Mormon is I mean, I know it is profane and it's a subversion of your musical standards it is very much brought out in the musical standards of 
what I, I like when I think of Oklahoma, stuff like that, you know, I, I can fit Book of Mormon into that, whereas I could, can't necessarily fit Hamilton in that. And I think that's kind of a, a shift of, you know, the, the hip hop genre now bleeding into Broadway. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think that Hamilton has inspired a lot of other to to aspire to be kind of more Hamilton-esque. Um, and I think Lin-Manuel was doing it before Hamilton in the Heights, yeah. some other things. So it's, uh, I, I think this is just the most popular by far. But yeah, I, I'm just I'm just curious about that experience. And I, yeah. I'm not saying I would never go back to a theater, but I left that first showing thinking I had a good time. I don't think I got my $120 worth. Ticket, if it still sells out show, but tickets just cost less because they're less of a demand, like I would pay 40, 50 bucks to see it again. In, in a theater, even if it's on Disney Plus, like especially because I think sometimes underwrites and I think sometimes the traveling crew can bring a different element to things. It's didn't particularly have a good experience with the one I saw. And I just, yeah, I, I would pay some money to see it again. I just, I, I'm not sure that I'm paying, I'm definitely not paying $120 again. I probably wouldn't pay more than 50 again. But I mean, maybe drive down the price of tickets, um, which yeah. then Hamilton is also still making gobs of money. I kind of think it's going to be a while before the the ticket prices go down for Hamilton, just because, especially right now. I think after the first and maybe a couple years after this is out, it, ticket prices might go down. But I, I, it's, I think it's probably going to increase the ticket prices at least for a little bit. It might. I'm not sure. You know, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yeah. Because again, I don't know that this has ever happened before, or like. I'm pretty sure when they recorded the Newsies one, it was probably because it was coming off of Broadway soon. And yeah. like, yeah, you know, they probably were just anticipating, you know, not, not getting to do those anymore. Like it, it, I, I actually, I'm just spitballing off the top of my head. I don't know if that's an actual fact or not. I could see something like this happening for a, a dying one, but Hamilton is at, is at the height of its popularity right now. I mean, it's, it's been number one since it initially launched. There's been no competition. I mean, Darren Hansen gave it a little competition, but nothing substantial and there definitely hasn't been anything in the last several years that has brought any competition. I, I just, it's a really interesting move and especially bumping it up, you know, when they initially announced it, it was supposed to come out summer next year. And I think it was supposed to get a theatrical run before it ever got on Disney plus really bold move. I wonder, I wonder if Disney gave them extra money to release it now, you, you know, probably, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think maybe since the announcement was already out there, you know, that might've dissuaded some people like, well, I could pay $120 to see it now, or I could pay five to see it in the theater a year from now. I'll, I'll pay the five. So, I mean, maybe they were already just like, look, people that are going to come are going to come regardless on on the launch. I, I, there's a lot of unknowns about this, but I think um, the other thought I wanted to say is I think if I were in charge of production and distribution of a movie for, ha- for Hamilton, I think what I would do is I would make it two parts. I'd make them each two, two and a half hours each. I think the whole show is probably three, maybe. They do a really good job of, when you listen to the soundtrack, you get the whole story, uh, which you can't say for everything mm-hmm. because their transitions are there. Every every line of dialogue in this performance is in the soundtrack. And most of it is in a song. And it's it's a really interesting way to do that. It's, it's It works on so many levels, but I... I I kind of wish some of the battle scenes were maybe a little longer. So like to see the battle of Yorktown drawn out a little bit more uh, or to see the duel last more than a minute and 30 second song. Yeah. I, I would like to see that dragged out. And I, so I would release it in two parts first being up to intermission, the end of the war. Actually, I probably would cut it at, uh, 
at the Battle of Yorktown because I think it's really weird of them choosing to to cut it after Theodosia. But I, I and then I would make the and then I would make a second movie that's all about him in the in the politics since they are two distinct stories. I think you can get by with making it a two part release. And I would do I would do it Matrix style where you record them both and you release them just months apart instead of you're waiting two years or anything. Like yeah. That. Maybe, maybe, maybe you think that I'm dumb for doing that, and maybe that's why I'm not in charge of distributing and making and making movies. But <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I I can see that you would definitely have to extend it out. I mean, if anyone can do it, I, I'm sure Lin Manuel could actually come up with more songs for that. I mean, I think there was like a B side, yeah, that they released, or at yeah, least that we know I, of. Now I. The the B side, I think it might it might be like remixes. Now I know there was an originally a third cabinet battle that they cut out. Yep. I think there was a scene where Hamilton gets fired by John Adams that they took out, but that that is more on that I mean those both are in after after the the intermission, so yeah, they they are two very distinct stories yeah. intertwined with Hamilton's continuous beef with Aaron Burr. I think the problem with doing an actual movie adaptation probably is everybody's way too busy because everybody's careers have blown up. I mean, yeah. David Diggs was nobody knew who he was before Hamilton, but uh, my first exposure to him was on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and I'm like, well, I like this guy. I want to see him in more, and I didn't realize he was. It was from that. And my first exposure to Jonathan Groff was a Mindhunter. I'm like, I like this guy. Where did they find him? Yeah. And it, even like I, I knew known Lin Manuel Miranda's stuff without knowing who he was. Yeah. Um, like I think I had even seen Moana before I listened to the Hamilton soundtrack, and I was like, oh. Okay. And uh, and so I think that there's a there are some elements of Lin Manuel is way too busy doing yeah. things to to go back for a you know six month movie production and especially because i'm sure he would want to have his hands all over it not just be in it i mean david diggs is absolutely blown up and you know he's working on snowpiercer right now and you know with blind spotting come out coming out and i don't know if he was in the unbreakable kimmy schmidt interactive thing yeah i I haven't seen that because i haven't done it yet but um he i mean he has a huge huge career ahead of him there everybody in the play is still like mostly everybody's still relatively young so they're they're they've got a lot it, it's probably an issue of scheduling right now, so I wouldn't be surprised if we get that movie adaptation. But maybe once the popularity has died down, and maybe you know, with different cast members, that way you know people aren't gonna be just up in arms that oh, you couldn't get Lin Manuel, you couldn't get Leslie Odom, or you couldn't get yeah. the V Diggs. You know, in in twenty years from now, we'll just be happy to have it, and I'm sure there will be some other up and coming. I mean, I'd love the cast for the 2012 Lane is Rob, except for Amanda Seyfried, but. I think Russell Crowe gets crapped on a little bit too much, but I—I I was gonna say typically people talk about uh, Russell Crowe more than actually. That's the first time I've ever heard Amanda Seyfried brought up in the in that conversation. Yeah, I don't really like her but... very much in general, but not really in that role. And I think Russell Crowe is fine. He's just—it's it, out of his range. He—he he was miscast in in that. Uh, I think he's great as Javert. Is just not not the singing part of singing. Javert. I think he has a, a fine voice. Yeah. Anyway, um. I wonder if we're going to get that, if we're going to get that proper movie adaptation in several years, but at least for now, like why not? I mean, Disney had to pay them tens of millions of dollars for the rights to Hamilton. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was 75 million that they paid for 
the distribution rights. And they so, and they probably still got a steal. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, but I I mean I I can almost guarantee that you're right. I mean we might not get a adaptation in the like a movie adaptation in the future of the uh, the the musical, but it I mean. Hamilton is a is a figure and you know he's a US historical figure so we are we will always see some version of Hamilton out there. I mean there's the John Adams HBO miniseries. So there was an A&E George Washington movie. So I I'm sure eventually we will see a Hamilton movie. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure about it. It's just when is that going to happen? And exactly, if if the plan is release this now, that way we can even grow the audience for Hamilton as well as, I mean, it's going to bring a ton of subscribers back to Disney Plus, or people have been holding on to their subscription because they know it's coming. Yeah, Disney and Disney's got enough money in the world. I think, yeah, I think there's a good chance that you know they're going to take a bunch of money, set it aside, and ten years from now. They're playing the long game. Ten years from now, you know, we're going to invest all the money that we got from you know this, and we built an audience, and we're going to make a Hamilton movie. Lin Manuel is going to you know yeah. be the head of it, and you know I would like to see him maybe play like George Washington or something because I think probably ten years from now, I mean he could still probably do Hamilton just fine, but you know, maybe see him take on a little bit different of a role, a little yeah. bit more of a mentor role, and have him have a guiding hand on on some of the actors, and I just. I think I wonder if this if Disney has a long term strategy that they just haven't unveiled. And it, either, either way, I think I think we've talked uh, quite a bit about Hamilton and Broadway in general. And uh, I think I think the excitement is real. I think um, yeah, I, I'm gonna ch- I'm definitely gonna check it out relatively soon when it's on. It, it just depends on what my schedule will allow. I know my wife's a big fan, so we'll probably watch it together. Anyway, any any other thoughts you want to say before we move on? I mean, check it out. <laughs> I, I definitely would would recommend that. I would I would also love to see a uh, a Book of Mormon ad- adaptation. I just want to throw that out into the universe. I believe that is in the works as well. Like it's I mean super early stages, but I believe right about the time they announced the Hamilton, they were also because I, I think if you go to IMDb, they're they're working on a pre production for that. Good. And uh, you know, I as long as they get Josh Gad back, uh, Josh Gad and Andrew Reynolds, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I would be really happy if they did uh, if they did the recording of the stage play. I think that one yeah. would work really well. Yeah, and I I so desperately want a Dear Evan Hansen one as well, which every now and then I see articles that they are actually working on. So, um, and I've never actually listened to that, so I, I it's really good. And you know, they just they got to do it while Ben Platt is still young enough that maybe he could pass as a high schooler because I I don't want anybody else in that role. Yeah. And you know, and even now, he's probably definitely too old for high school. But with CGI or just to generally stack it with some other older people, and just you just embrace it, and you're like, yeah. Who cares? I mean, they did take what thirty years, forty years off of uh, Pacino and De Niro for The Irishman. Yeah, not well so, though. No, but you know, give it a few years. Yeah. So anyway, so we'll we'll see that. Uh, before we move on, I want to ask you one question based off of everything in general, what would you give a rating for Hamilton? Like scale of one to 10, like your, your experience with the show, the show or the music each and both, because I, if you, I presumably you're going to have the same experience with, with the uh, movie production as well. 
stage, stage production, I'd give it a seven, six, seven. The, I mean, the music I think is top notch. Uh, just lyrically, I, I, I can't even describe. It, it just the way he, uh, Lin Manuel, bends words and he his diction to flow into topics and convey things is phenomenal. So, uh, so seven and like a, a nine, ten for the music and lyric. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm right there with you. Uh, I think like six and a half, seven for the like visual aspects of it because yeah, the background stuff has some really cool things going on. But if you're just gonna stand in the spotlight, get not doing anything, I'm I'm gonna knock you for that. <laughs> um, especially you know seeing Book of Mormon and seeing Dear Evan Hansen and those kind of things, seeing Mean Girls. Yeah. Which by the way, I really want them to do this treatment with Mean Girls too because it's they they bring a different level of comedy from the from the movie. It's it's so enjoyable. Okay. If you get a chance, check go see it. But uh, but also uh, I I think I'm right there with you for the music. I think it's probably probably I'm gonna say nine nine point five. I think the soundtrack overall is a huge win. But the problem is there are some songs that I just hate. You know, when you have this many songs, it's okay. And I love most of the songs. I, I think Battle of Yorktown is one of the best. Uh, it's it's Depending on what day you ask me, it's either Wait For It, Battle of Yorktown, or Dear Theodosia. That's my favorite of the album. But but there's there's plenty of others that could also be in that conversation. I just don't particularly care for... It, it's percentage-wise more in the second half than it is in the first half. But even, I don't like The Farmer Refuted, but I get that it's essential for the story. I just It's not my, not my jam. I don't even like the... Um, the Skylar Sisters song, I think it's fine. Okay, it's just I don't know. I don't really love it. Um, the my the biggest gripe that I have is the uh, the biggest song that I don't like is the one I can't even remember the name of it, but the one where Alexander has the affair. Hurricane? Or no, no, no. no, no. Um, uh, say no to this. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't I don't like it. And it feels it's jarring. It really feels different. But I think you're right. His 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 abilities as a lyricist, his ability as crafting a story like this his ability is with alliteration and with diction i think are are all impeccable and so most songs i would give above a 10 but i don't i don't like every song on the album and you could do the same thing with it you know i don't like uh the to fit like a glove from dear evan hansen and some of the mean girls ones aren't great and some of the i mean book of mormons probably got one or two that i don't like i can't think off the top of my head but also those also have a third of the soundtrack that Hamilton has. So it's, it's a massive achievement. It's just, yeah, I don't know, I'm, I'm not quite willing to say, you know, 10 out of 10 or anything like that. So I was just curious, but I, I think I'm probably right there with you. And I hope that, that seeing it on Disney plus, and maybe you know, I'm, I'm also curious if it's going to be a, a stationary camera the whole time, or if it's going to be kind of like the ways that they film, like American Idol, things like that. Um, I wonder if, I wonder how how they're going to do that. I hope not stationary. Yeah. I hope it kind of moves around a little bit. That, that'll bring it. I hope I elevate from like a six point five or a seven. I hope I elevate to like eight or a nine. I really want. I really want to have a better experience than I did, and we'll just have to see in a couple of weeks when I finally get around to it. Well, hey, we got to talk about Manscaped for just a second. Manscaped is the best in men's grooming. They offer precision-engineered tools for all areas of your body, especially the sensitive ones. Now, I will never personally support a product that I don't love and use myself, but I really love these products. And I've gotten to try a couple. I've told you about some of their products, but let me send a quick reminder of what they are. The Lawnmower 3.0 is their third-generation electric trimmer with ceramic blades to help avoid nicks and irritation that come from traditional trimmers. 
The Lawnmower 3.0 also comes with length guards, so you don't always have to get a to the skin feel if that's not what you're looking for. It has a charging stand, a 90 minute battery, an LED light that illuminates the area that you're mowing, and it has a 7,000 RPM super quiet motor. So, really powerful, really quiet. With the Lawnmower 3.0, you will never need another trimmer or razor for your body again. But it's not just the lawnmower. There's also the Crop Reviver, which gives you an extra spritz of freshness, perfect for when you get off work. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing deodorant that is just perfect for hot summer days right now. For real, I use this product nearly every day. They have their anti-chafing boxes, which is my favorite pair of underwear that I own. And they have a new cologne that I was pretty skeptical about since I already have a cologne that I love. But I really like this one as well, and I'm definitely going to be getting more, especially with this promo. I already tried their body wash and shampoo, and I well, I didn't use it for shampoo because I have one that I love that is special for my, my thinning hair. Uh, I, I, I really like their body wash, and I'm actually going to switch over to using this as my regular one. Uh, it's really that good. Now, all their products are made with active pH balance for your biological chemistry, aloe vera, and some really, really nice scents. You can even get a travel bag made of really nice leather, perfect to carry all of your body grooming needs. And lastly, you can bundle up all of these products in different packages that will feature something special. So here's the deal. Go to manscaped.com and get what you want. Put it in your cart, go to the checkout, and use the promo code SWR, like Sif Pop Writer's Room. That will give you 20% off your order and free shipping. And prices on the website? are actually pretty good. They're not bad at all. But 20% off is even better and a great deal. So if you go to manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping with code SWR. Now, let's get on with the show and dive into our SIF topic. The idea for this week is where you talk about nostalgic movies. Now, when we say nostalgic movies, we want to think of a movie that we haven't seen, ideally since our formative ages of, of growing up, that could be as late as college or high school, but most of these are probably going to wind up in the you know elementary school or before kind of era, like last time we've seen them. But you know, ideally, movies we watch so much that we hold really fondly that we want to to think: Is it I really loved it because I was seven, or I really loved it because it was the only thing I'd seen? And and, uh, and decide if these movies are actually really great, or if it was just great because I was a certain age, or was it great at the time and it really hasn't held up very well? And so. Uh, this week is probably one that you might not want to put in this category. It's Blues Brothers, but Dexter picked this for a specific reason. Dexter, why did you pick this movie for this topic? So this was kind of when I, it was around the, the time where I really started to fall in love with movies that were older than me. I, I, can't, I came onto this movie, I guess it would be considered my, my freshman year of high school. My, my dad showed it to me just, you know, he, he saw that I'd seen like Tommy Boy, Black Sheep, Almost Here, you know, the Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, SNL movies. And he's like, no, you need to see a proper one. And so he, he showed me this and this became a go-to comedy for me in high school. And then I moved to Argentina, and once I got back, I kind of just forgot about it. And so I, when, when this was presented, I wanted to know if this was actually nostalgia or if I actually liked it or, or you know, like, just bury it away. Sure. Blues Brothers is a, is a story. The synopsis is Jake Blues, released from prison, puts together his old band to save his, the Catholic home 
where he and his brother Elwood were raised. Now, 1980 movie, originally based off of an SNL skit, and it was not an immediate success. Uh, it had some box office numbers that were decent, uh, did more internationally than it did domestically, as most movies do, but this one was especially like made gobs more internationally than domestically. Um, second highest grossing SNL sketch movie of all time behind Wayne's World at this point. It's, so it's between Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. You know, SNL skits, skit, skits turned into movies don't have a great track record. And it spawned a 1998 sequel, Blues Brothers 2000. That was because it picked up a really big audience during home release as well, um, which we're, for the sake of lots of things, not going to talk about Blues Brothers 2000. This would be a perfect movie for me to talk about nostalgia-wise because I watched this movie a lot as a kid. I have fond memories of it. I, I really don't think I would enjoy it if I watched it again because I think it's great for a seven-year-old. But I, I'm interested in revisiting it, but I'm also like very afraid. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've never seen Blues Brothers 2000. I don't think I could. No offense to uh, Jim Belushi, but I mean, John. It's uh, it's not Jim Belushi in the role. It's John Goodman, actually. Oh, is it really? I thought mm-hmm. I thought they put uh, his his brother in there. No, for whatever reason, uh, they didn't put Jim Belushi in there. It's John Goodman. And he doesn't play the same character. Okay. He doesn't play the Jake blues. He, he plays a separate, a separate character, but there's a kid in there, right? Yeah. There's a kid. It's like, I think Elwood's long lost son or something like that. I can't remember because I haven't seen it in 20 years. And I tell you, tell you what, if I wind up watching it, I'll let you know if you (laughs) should actually or not, but you know, probably give you some stipulations like, Hey, like it's, it's nowhere near as good as the first. But anyway, the recently the most the biggest news about this is that apparently at some point it was announced that they're making a Blues Brothers TV series that is created by Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi's wife at the time of Blues Brothers. Who knows where that's going to land, if it's going to land, but apparently that's announced as according to IMDb, but I don't remember hearing anything about it, so my hopes aren't necessarily very high. Although, you know, if they do it right, yeah, I'm probably going to be there for it. So my history with the movie is I grew up watching this movie. My mom was alive and kind of in the prime age for the the glory days of SNL. She was about college age when this movie would have came out. So you know the glory days of John Belushi and SNL. And so uh, she, I was introduced to some of that stuff at a young age. I was introduced to the Blues Brothers at a young age. And I loved it as a kid. And I think it's it's rated R, but I feel like it's fairly family friendly for an R-rated movie. Some of the stuff is pretty dark, but there's there's a there's not really many f words. There's not really anything that would really make it rated R. I'm kind of surprised that they kept it R instead of just going to PG-13. I don't know what the reason for that is, but it's it's not really that detailed. So anyway, I watched it a lot as a kid, and then for whatever reason, kind of like you, just hadn't hadn't seen it in a while. Uh, I think the last time I saw this movie was about ten years ago. Uh, I would have been in high school, and I think that's the last time I've seen it, and I did start to watch it about five years ago when I was in college, and uh, I was showing it to my girlfriend at the time, and uh, we got about half an hour in, and it was just past the mall sequence, and she's like, this is dumb, can we turn this off? And I should have known right then that it wasn't going to work, but for some reason I kept dating her for a couple, another couple months, and... Um, and that and that's that. So that's so this is probably the first time I've seen it in full for, for about 10 years. I, I had a really good time with it. I have a lot of thoughts about how this movie has changed, about how my growing up has impacted my view of this movie. But uh, 
I'm firmly in the love it category. What do you think, Dexter? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or think it's just okay? I I'm not in the love it, but it's it's a high side of like it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now here's here's the the important question is, do you think this movie serves better in your memory as a fond, as a fond one, or do you think this is one that you're going to go back and continue to watch? Oh, it's definitely one that I'm going to go back to and continue to watch. Cool. Why is that? Uh, so you've got these great R&B monumentous performers scattered throughout the movie. You have comedic chops. It is packed full of just amazingness all the way through. It doesn't cross over into the, the love it category just simply because it doesn't hit me in uh, an emotional way that I would want it to. But I, yeah, I, I will I will revisit this movie again. Yeah, I, I love it. And I will continue to watch this movie for a long time. I just, I do think probably my memories of it are a little bit more fond than the movie itself. Yeah. But a lot of that is because probably I had this on a super high pedestal when I was a child. Watching it this time, I watched the extended version, which is about 15 minutes long in the theatrical. It's the one that I think, mm-hmm. I can't even tell scenes that I didn't know were in there. It's it's only two and a half hours, but gosh, it felt like three, three and a half. I don't know what it was, but it could be because I know this movie like the back of my hand that that it felt really long because I even though I haven't seen it in 10 years, I knew exactly what was coming next. I knew most of the lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew which songs were yeah. coming up next. I listened to the soundtrack pretty frequently because I think it's great, um, which is another big point I have in the movie. Like I love every single song in this movie. Uh, it, I mean, there's probably only like six or eight, but I, I really love all of them. I think they're great. Probably the standout to me is uh, Shake Your Tail Feather. And a lot of that is because of the, the visuals that are going on at that point. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it, the music is great. The The intro with, with She Caught the Katie is just iconic. John Belushi has such a such a perfect voice for this kind of role and for this style of music. I, I It's such a shame that he passed away two years after this movie at age 32 because and you you could see so much potential in him between this and Animal House and SNL. Like he he definitely would have gone down. I mean, he still does go down as one of the all time great comedians. But how much more could he have done? So uh, I don't know. I just uh, it, it, the music is really intoxicating. It's all great. It's performed really well. I, I also don't feel like this movie is really lost in the eighties. It's made in nineteen eighty. It very much feels like a movie that could have been made ten years ago. Like story structure. I mean, obviously there's some technical aspects of it that are a little lacking at this point but it, it, it's it's not a really like irrelevant movie it's a pretty basic plot it's it's pretty is simplistic in ways it's, it's i mean maybe the music would be a little bit lost but i think you can find the audience i mean la la land did with jazz and you know nobody complains about the music in that movie because it's amazing so at least nobody with the right mind complains about the music in that movie so I don't know. It, just, it doesn't feel like it's lost in the 80s. Uh, it really feels like it could take place at any time. Although I did know, I, I think I only counted one, but I just, for the sake of argument, I said other than the occasional Edward that appears. Yeah. Because Cab Calloway refers to himself as that at one point, and that would not, that would not get by today, I don't think. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think it would. I, I, if, it were, if it were made today, I definitely think it would probably be better paced or more paced for our sensibilities. I, I definitely think that's why it feels longer than it actually is. It's just, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a pacing issue, but that's also, we're in a clip media uh, world these days. So 
Yeah, I, I think to kind of play off of that a little bit, uh, I think part of the reason why I don't think some of the transitions work really well. Some of them are just very blocky, and mm-hmm. you know, at least when Star Wars is like that, they kind of play into it with the you know slide wipes or whatever. Yeah, uh, but I think some of them are just really not great, and I think part of that, as I was reading the trivia, apparently the original script was massively long, so much that it took John Landis six weeks to trim it down to the movie that we got. So I think part of it is just they had to leave some things in the in the, in the cutting room floor. Yeah, uh, I think part of it is the the original cut was two and a half hours, and Universal wanted them to cut it down to uh, like by like thirty minutes, but they cut it down by like fifteen, and Universal was like, "Fine." It's also just so much going on in this movie that yeah. it, it, that's part of the reason why I also think it is just plays really long. I mean, because. You have the 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 getting the band back together, which takes a long time, and you have them trying to raise money for the orphanage. But you also have to have both of them get that purpose and get mm-hmm. that feeling. So you have to have that church sequence, and you have to have uh, you know maybe have to have, but you have the the cop tension. Uh, which, by the way, the light was yellow, especially by Chicago standards. That's a BS <laughs> pullover. So uh, although, you know, although the only credit that gets is that those are state troopers, and state troopers are a little bit more. Uh, more strict on some of those things, but I grew up near Chicago. Believe me, that light was yellow. Uh, but anyway, so you have the cop tension. You, you have the good old boys tension, which doesn't come in until like an hour and a half into the movie, like surprisingly yeah. late. Uh, you have the, the mm-hmm. Illinois Nazis, uh, which I completely forgot about. Plus, you have to include musical elements, musical songs. There is a lot in this movie. I really I really feel like this was initially written as a, as a three and a half hour movie. And... During production, mm-hmm. they had to just cut some stuff out. I mean, because you even have some of the small stuff, like like Elwood uh, chatting up the girl at the at the gas station, oh, yeah. chatting up Twiggy at the gas station, and there's no need for that to be in there. But I'm happy it's in uh, there. You, we haven't even mentioned uh, Carrie, Carrie, Carrie Fisher. Fisher. Exactly. Yeah, and that's such an interesting. Like, she doesn't get a ton of screen time, but she doesn't. But like, she makes so much use of what time she has. But at the same time, you're, you're kind of like, well, it's just another element for them being chased. And they're already being chased by the cops, by the good old boys, the, you know, the Nazis. And it's just one other thing. If you read about the, the production, uh, when Dan Aykroyd submitted it, he was fairly new to screenwriting. And it, like you said, it, John Landis had to trim this down. And apparently, it took him a long time to trim it down. Yeah. I, I, I want to make a prediction, and I don't know if I'm right. Maybe you can lean into this a little bit. But I, I don't feel like many people my age or younger, I'm 25, I don't think that many people my age or younger have necessarily seen this movie. I think you're right. But I do think that people are very familiar with it. Oh, yeah. I, I, especially, you know, my wife has not seen this movie, but her you know with her her parents kind of growing up in this era uh, they are very familiar with it and so she's seen clips here and there she recognizes the songs mm-hmm. and and because we live in a meme generation i mean we're on a mission from god has become a staple and we're getting the band back together has been such a staple exactly. and exactly um you know, mm-hmm. especially when you have ray charles and aretha franklin like i i'm sure there's a lot of this movie that if we sat down and watched it together she'd be like oh that's where that fr- that's from and you know the classic like they broke my watch yeah (laughs) i think that if if you sat down pretty 
socially connected people like yeah that are very connected with memes and meme culture and reddit and things like that i think you'd sit them down and they'd be like oh okay that makes sense now that's where that from because my wife constantly is having this with a lot of the movies i show she's like oh okay yeah so i, I think i think maybe that's uh that's part of it and it's just a testament to the movie though that it's so ingrained in pop culture um in pop culture conscious oh I, it's so iconic everything about it is iconic the opening jail sequence and him retrieving all the stuff and the car chase through the mall and every single scene about this is iconic to me and maybe it's because since i saw it at such a young age that it's just iconic to me i don't know i think i think this movie has a lot more influence than people maybe give it credit for yeah i i 100% agree with you jake and elwood they just seem cool like, I, I, I look at them in their suits and I'm like, oh, uh, this might not have been, like, the direct inspiration for, like, the Reservoir Dogs outfits. But, I, I, I mean, I see it. Just, like, how they comport themselves throughout this movie, you, like, you believe it. And then every other thing has, you know, infiltrated our pop culture. It is one of the best SNL movies. Yeah. that we've ever gotten. I think it's the best. You would put this over Wayne's World? I would put this over Wayne's World. I think they're very different movies. I so Wayne's World is more meta. It would probably play better today than the Blues Brothers just because we're we're very meta <laughs> these days. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah, I would put this over Wayne's World by quite a bit actually. And I I think I like Wayne's World but probably not as much as everybody else does. And and I think part of my experience might be soured because I did see Wayne's World 2 before I saw Wayne's World. Yeah, that was me too. It's it's not awful. And, you know, it's I think it's a lot of experiences. Like if you if you see a second one that people hate because the first one is so good. Um, yeah. And, and you don't need to see the first one to understand the second one. I, I think I think it's an OK movie. Do I really want to see yeah. it again? No. But I, I don't recall hating it. And, uh, you know, I... I, I think this is the best SNL movie because I think it, the conversation has to be Wayne's World of Blues Brothers. I don't think any of them hold a candle, <laughs> um, whatever that expression is. Yo, wait, so we're, we're not going to include Night at the Roxbury? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, we no, we're not. not. <laughs> uh, we're definitely not. Uh, no, I, I will. I mean, I'm probably going to go back to the to Blues Brothers more than I will go back to Wayne's World especially because of the musical element. I would go back to Blues Brothers more than I would Wayne's World, but that's because I've probably seen Wayne's World two or three times in my life, and I've seen Blues Brothers probably two dozen. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I mean... So, so a lot of it is just, I'm familiar with it. It's, it's, it's my happy place. I could turn it on, leave it in the background, and, and you know, work on stuff. Or I can yeah. you know, play on my phone, or it'd be a good pick-me-up movie. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention while we're on that topic is really hard for me to believe that this wasn't an initial SNL sketch. And after this movie ended, I went and I saw some of the original SNL clips that they have on YouTube of this. And it's okay. They're fine. They're not iconic. I mean, some of the other stuff, like there's definitely iconic SNL stuff, especially that Belushi era, era with the, um, the, the cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger sketch. Uh, you know, oh, the Adam Sandler... Chris Farley oh, one yeah. that I can't remember. It's Schmitzke? What? Schmitzke? Yes. Yes, that I think is pretty iconic. And uh, uh, of course, the man in the van by the river is iconic. Oh, and, yeah. You know, even even as recently as uh, as the shooting with uh, AKA Dear Sister with 
Andy Samberg and Bill Hader and oh yeah, Kristen Wiig. I mean, there's a lot of this iconic stuff, but like it's it's only funny because it's only fun in the SNL skits because you're like, oh, John Belushi as a performer, I kind of want to see more of this, and Dan Aykroyd just doesn't know how to dance, <laughs> and yeah. you just you're mildly amused by him. It's it's really hard for me to believe this was an SNL sketch, and it's. It's not as funny as I as I think it probably gets a reputation of being, but I think probably it's because I've seen it so much. I'm I'm numb to to some of the comedy, but yeah. What I realized in this watch is that it's it's a very it, the humor feels very Mel Brooks to me, like not so much like some of the really dumb Mel Brooks humor, like the really like toned down stupid, but like the really clever stuff that he writes. Like mm-hmm. I think one of the favorite one of my favorite jokes in the movie, which is kind of half a joke, is when they go to get Matt, Matt Guitar Murphy from the uh, from the house, and they and they roll up in the police car in suits, and they knock on the door and they go, "Well, can we come in?" And she's like, "Are you guys police?" Like, "No, we're musicians." And that's <laughs> to me that's that's a very Mel Brooks kind of humor with like just being yeah. smart about knowing where you are, knowing your situation, and, and knowing that, that you know they broke my watch is also kind of some of that smarter stuff. So I think. Um, I was I was kind of surprised. I don't I didn't remember it being kind of that kind of humor. And really, the only scene that feels like it's straight out of SNL is the the diner scene where they get Mister Fantastic back, yeah, or Mister Fabulous back, mm-hmm. where the where John Belushi's you know, "Let me buy your women." Like, yeah, I think I think that feels like it probably was an SNL skit, but it doesn't feel like it. And I think it succeeds because of that. Yeah, it, 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 they they fleshed it out, and it. It it shows because of that. It's uh, that I think that's why we can continuously go back to it. Why why you only go back to Wayne's World two three times, like you said, is because it feels more of that sketch quality. It it is a little bit more fleshed out, but it feels more like SNL. Whereas with the Blues Brothers, it it does not. It feels like it is you know it's it's a film yeah i i have kind of two more notes about this one of them is very quick and i think maybe i i hold this movie a little bit higher in standard because i did grow up just outside chicago Mm -hmm. so when they're driving on lower wacker like i'm very familiar with where that is the same reason why i i really connect to batman begins the dark Knight is because like i can recognize where these places are and uh you know especially you know driving through downtown and driving through daily plaza i grew up not too far from joliet so you know when when they start in joliet and making their way up like it feels very chicago to me and it really works for that and and they really play into that and of course john landis Mm -hmm. so he's just gonna do that um and i think so i think part of that is you know makes makes it a little bit more enjoyable uh you know especially the you know you have the jokes about elwood's uh address being wrigley field and it it just it, maybe maybe it brings kind of that nostalgia back uh maybe it brings some of that like i'm familiar with this so i enjoy it a little bit more like oh yeah i've driven on this street before or yeah like wrigley field i've been there before or, like the the daily plaza like I've, I've walked in there and just like oh this is where they crashed their car this is really cool yeah i i can definitely see that it's probably one of the reasons why i like slc punk so much i grew up in salt lake so when i watch it like i see you know i see my home and i i see that and i then i could juxtapose it against like uh the hbo series big love where it's set it's set in the town i grew up in uh sandy 
nothing looks like that in San. Yeah. Yeah. They don't talk like anyone does. They, they, you know, they talk like they do from California, not from. So whereas big love, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me, SLC punk. It's like, I feel that experience. Right. I had a similar experience. My biggest gripe with pop culture in the last couple of years is uh, actually in the Amazon series, The Boys. Okay. I really like that series, but the uh, the star Starlight character is from Des Moines, Iowa. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd never been to Iowa before I moved here for a job. You know, my wife is from Des Moines. I've been to Des Moines many times. It's very urban. And when they, you know, it says Des Moines, yeah. Iowa. And mm-hmm. if there are cities that look exactly like the city she grew up in, in Iowa. Yeah. There are some five miles from my house because Iowa is like, you're either a big city or a podunk. And so like, there are definitely those cities, but it's not Des Moines. Right. 20 minutes outside of Des Moines, you're going to get that kind of city. And so it's, uh, I, I, I really hated it. I mean, Des Moines is very urban. So, oh, yeah. so I didn't connect with that. It, it made me more mad, but, but that feels very Chicago. And especially like with, uh, with Elwood's job and all that, like he has a tiny apartment six by six, pretty much right next to a train, that's probably about what he can afford. Yeah. So that, that's one of the notes I had. Uh, the other note is just we have to talk about the actors. Uh, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd are perfect together. They're perfect in these roles. They're iconic. I actually went as the Blues Brothers with my brother one year for Halloween when I was like five. Nice. They're, they're, they're just, they have such good chemistry. They work really well together. And a lot of that is because they had experience together. I'm very interested in seeing an alternate world where John Belushi did an OD a couple years later, and maybe we got a proper Blues Brothers sequel. Maybe it was even a little earlier than 1998, but uh, I'm very interested in in seeing that, in seeing you know, where does the story go from here? Um, can they pull out another classic like this? Um, or or did we get another Wayne's World 2? Yeah. But I'm very interested in that reality. They're, they are so perfect. Everybody in this movie is perfect. All the band members, um, Aretha Franklin is great. Ray Charles is great. Cap Galloway. Yeah. There's, there's not one person that I don't just adore in this, in their role in this movie. I mean, even the one thing I noticed this, this time around that really made me laugh was, uh, when they were doing the shake your tail feather song in Ray's music Uh shop. I mean, normally you focus on Ray and you focus on Jake and Elwood dancing. And I'm just so familiar with that at this point, but like, in the background, the uh, uh, Murph, uh, the the normal piano player, since he's not playing piano, since Ray Charles is, he's just in the background with the tambourine, but he's having the time of his life. And it's, <laughs> oh, I'll it's, have to go back and look at that. I, I don't think I've ever paid attention to that. It's really funny. It's uh, it, it's really he he just looks like he's having a blast, and uh, and I really oh, appreciate yeah. it. The choreography in that scene is just incredible. So, oh yeah, when it cuts to outside. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, just a huge fan of of that stuff. But uh, I don't think this movie works as cult status without Belushi and Aykroyd in the roles. I don't think it does. Yeah. Same with Wayne's World. If it wasn't Mike Myers and uh, Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey, yeah. It's, no, you're you're so right. It's just another uh, movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like we have to bring up how the the music is so diegetic to the to the setting. Like, it's oh, yeah. not most musicals that we see it is very much you know the music is being performed in the in the world of the movie so it's it's not in the the narrator's head or anything like that so and i feel like that adds to it right you know the only non-diegetic is when they're uh introducing 
the band before the Blues Brothers get out there and Cap Calloway is, you know, just being the band leader and entertaining, you know, they're all in these pristine suit, white suits, and then it cuts to reality and they're just, you know, in their normal grub and, and but it adds to the comedic value of it. So, yeah, that's great. A question for you. Would you like to see this movie be remade or rebooted or even get like another sequel? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. So I, so my issue with the, the reboot would be you're going to lose that chemistry between that Belushi and Aykroyd had together. And I would also be afraid that if they do a reboot, they're going to lean more into, I mean, I, I would love it because you could introduce, you know, a younger audience to more blues music that way. And I would love to see current blues artists in that movie. But at the same time, it would, I, I would be afraid, but you know, it's just, it's one of those things where I'm I'm not a Hollywood producer, so I can't I can't say anything. But you know, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd are just phenomenal as the Blues Brothers, and I don't I just don't know what a remake or a reboot would would be able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I um I I also don't want a full length movie or TV series from what it sounds like they're putting together. I don't want either of those. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still going to see it if it comes uh, yeah. because I'm that way, but I, I don't want that. But I, I also feel I would like to see these roles come up somehow. So uh, I, I would like to see SNL do another Blues Brothers skit. And uh, I mean, the problem is you got to get two actors that, I, that you can make pull it off. So um, and, and you're right. You have you have to be able to get that the feel for Belushi, the feel for Akron and have those actors work well together. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, would, I was thinking about this question. If this were rebooted or remade today, who do you cast as these leads? And Ooh. I had a hard time answering this question, but I came up with two that I, I kind of want to see them guest appear on SNL and, and do this performance. I, it's Josh Gad for, for John Belushi. I could, see, I could see him. I could see Jonah Hill doing it. Um, I don't know. I don't know about his singing prowess. So, but, yeah, but Jonah Hill's also kind of skinny now. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I mean he, he he's an actor's actor, so he'll put the weight back yeah, yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, maybe. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I mean, maybe like he could do it. Not maybe he would put on the weight. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this character doesn't doesn't necessarily need to be short and stocky, but yeah, I think Josh Gad would kill it because we also know of his musical abilities and. That that is true. I feel like he more that, encompasses that, that personality. Jonah Hill's a little bit more Seth Rogen kind of humor, and but the role of Elwood was really hard for me yeah. to to find out who can play it. But it hit me oh, in the man. church scene when Elwood is doing that dancing. Like, who on earth could do this? And it's Ed Helms. I think he embodies that awkward, that that confident awkward that that Dan Aykroyd had in this time. I I don't see it. It was a really hard. The rest of the movie, I was trying to think of anybody else. I, I don't think there is anybody else. I, I I might go with one of his Hangover co-stars. I would probably lean towards... Uh, I, I mean, he is too cool for it, but like Bradley Cooper. 
I mean, um, if, if, Brad, uh, if so this is Bradley I, I Cooper back in like Wet Hot American Summer Days, like before he was a star, yeah, not yeah. not so much now, you know, with his yeah. A Star Is Born or really anything post the first Hangover, where he became an A-lister. I just, I, I the Office killed El, Ed Helms to me. Like he he had that quirky sense of humor that just that doesn't vibe with me. So I. Yeah, I, so because of that, I've I've always been hesitant to Ed sure. Helms, but I mean, I I I can always give him another shot. Yeah, I, I I I don't know. I feel like he's he's probably one of the only people that could do that. That was just something I was thinking about. But um, yeah, I don't want to see a reboot or anything like that. I, I would like to see Josh Gad and El, Ed, Ed Helms yeah. make an appearance as the Blues Brothers on an SNL skit. That yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think you would get you'd get outrage for that, but yeah, I definitely uh, that would definitely be interesting to see. So cool. You have anything else to add about the movie? If you haven't seen it, watch it. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the B pot. Dexter, you actually had a question for us this year. What uh, What's the question you want to ask and answer? Yeah. So I grew up in a fairly religious household. I wasn't able to watch Rugrats, The Simpsons while I was growing up. However, I was introduced to a landmark cinematic movie fairly young. I saw The Godfather at age 10. So I I was wondering, what is an outlier movie for you growing up? And why would it be an outlier? Yeah, um, so I grew up in a moderately religious household as well. My uh, my current full time position is I'm a minister. If that gives you any idea of some of my background, but I'm not. I didn't grow up in a household where anybody was a minister. Um, but I, I also grew up in a household that uh, we had very little restrictions on what we could watch. Uh, my parents have always been the uh, buy movies, not not really renting kind, and uh, and also like would just. Once they found it at a garage sale, whatever. They weren't the kind that was like, oh, I've heard of this one. But they weren't the kind that was like, uh, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the other one, so I'm going to watch this one. Or, and, and, you know, the movies that I really loved that especially connected to my mom, you know, my mom growing up watching some of the James Bond movies, you know, she took me to see all the James right. Bond movies and took me to see every Star Wars and all that. It's just, I didn't, I wasn't really restricted. I remember being like six years old watching Stripes with Bill Murray, like, but not understanding half the things that were going on in it. I really appreciated watching the movie. I just, uh, but I didn't understand half the jokes they were making or I didn't understand the vulgarity of words. And also my parents were pretty good at explaining to me just because it's in the movie doesn't mean that you need to repeat it. Also, I had some older siblings, so they were pretty, pretty influential on me and they were all pretty decent people. So yeah, so the uh, are some pretty decent people. They're still alive. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I didn't really have any restrictions. The only time I can really remember, my parents didn't let me watch The Simpsons for whatever reason. I think because that show is really made for adults, but it has the cartoon, so it's kind of a disguise. And that was really the first of its kind to be that accessible to kids. And I think they were just like, well, yeah, but I, which always confused me why they would let me watch yeah. anything else except for that. I watched a lot of Rugrats as a kid. There was never any restrictions on like I know a lot of Christian parents do the like magic thing, so like a lot of people didn't grow up watching Harry Potter. I mean, I I did, but we were never like super into that franchise as a household. The, and the only other time I can think of where 
was it was actually like sort of a denial like a you probably don't need to be watching this was uh when it came out me my dad and my brother were watching the 40 year old virgin and like 20 minutes in my brother got bored got up and left and my dad was like hey you probably don't need to watch this either i'm like fine whatever (laughs) i was exposed to a lot at a young age and i think that it's it helps me process things um it I don't, I'm not sensitive to, yeah. to a lot of the things. So I don't, I don't really have an answer to yours, but I know that's not the case for a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of the cases um, is mm-hmm. that they weren't allowed to, to experience a lot yeah. of things, you know, especially some people have very strict households. Um, I, I didn't have that. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I've got another question, if you mind fielding it. Sure. Okay. So it, have you watched a movie where the, the, there's a massive twist ending. No one saw it coming. And you before it got to that, you knew the twist. See, I'm trying to think of some of the big staples. Can you give me some examples? Help me help me think about them. Yeah, so my answer is Fight Club. So I was visiting family down in uh, down in Houston and I was with my, my siblings and we were watching Fight Club. And I think I was probably 13. So obviously my parents did not know I was watching Fight Club. I'm watching it. And before you actually meet Tyler Durden, you see uh, just a 16th of a frame flashed in of Brad Pitt. And my cousin who had seen the movie and she knew the twist, I turned to her. I'm like, did I just see Brad Pitt? And she pulled me aside she's like don't ruin the movie for everyone and i'm like oh oh i know what i know what this is and you know i was like 13 at the time so uh yeah so i can't think of any specific examples i mean i like being surprised i i like being surprised by movies i try not to think too far ahead of them so like you know seeing knives out like i'm i'm trying to figure it out as it goes um i'm not trying to get ahead and really with movies like that you yeah. can't try to get ahead uh-huh that's a great question that I wish I'd have been able to think about a little bit before you went on the spot. Yeah, I, it, it, it came to me as I was, uh, you know, answering the previous question. So, uh, I mean, I, I find I do that with some TV shows. Um, like I'll notice something, uh, not, not every TV show. Uh, it, part of it, it here's, the, here's the other part. We live in, mm-hmm. in an age now where like you can access anything on the internet and everybody's got their own fan theories and there's plenty of examples like I've never seen the sixth sense, the sixth sense, but I know the twist. Um, I know the ending, so I don't know if it's particularly worth me watching. Right. Uh, there's also things like watching the Watchmen HBO series, um, seeing a lot of people talk about their their theories on the show and how it, and a lot of them wound up being pretty right. They weren't my original thoughts, but I mean, at least I I saw them coming, which I wish I could take back because some of those twists are just. Mm-hmm. Man, to really pack a punch. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of any off the top of my head. It happens more often with TV than movies, but I'm usually not good at predicting big twists. I, I unfortunately kind of am. That's I've I uh, have adopted the philosophy of you know Papa Sift of zero frames for the movie. So I, I don't watch trailers. I actually when I go to the movie theater, I will take soundproof headphones in and i listen to podcasts or music during the trailers and i just stare at my feet while they're going so i don't you know experience anything because i can typically 
suss out an entire plot just by watching a trailer and I just yeah it's a lot of that's with the way that the trailers are edited nowadays. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I and I also I want to be able to experience something for the first time, and I don't want you know you you get things that are in trailers now that are just for the trailers, or they've been edited out of the movie when it finally hits the screen, and I don't want to be waiting for that moment. So yeah, I mean, mostly for the most part, I just experience a movie. I get. I, I deal with what the movie gives to me because I find that if I try to formulate my own theories, I wind up being happier with my own theories rather than what the movie gives me. Yeah, that's the same uh, with me. It's part of a big reason why I love The Last Jedi. Um, I think it's excellent and firmly in the Ryan Johnson is a genius and I need him to make more Star Wars. And, you know, not everybody's there, but... I am coming around to that. It's precisely because I accepted what the movie gave me and I didn't try to formulate my own. When Return of the Jedi ended, I never thought, well, what does Luke do after this? Uh, or, I mean, I thought of it, but I never, like, extensively held. And it was never canon, except for in my head. Um, so, right. you know, but also in my head, oh, they defeated the Empire. All the bad in the world is gone. Like, Yeah. Um, so, 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 there's a, so there's an expect. So when Last Jedi comes out, I'm just... I'm happy with what I got. I'm, I really am satisfied with what Ryan Johnson did with Luke in that story arc. And I, I know there are people, Mark Hamill himself, that are not that way. But I, there, I also wind up, you know, I mentioned mm-hmm. reading a lot of like tweets and seeing some things in advance. And uh, man, I, I remember probably the best fan theory for a movie that ever like was from, based off of before a movie came out that I wish was true was Batman versus Superman mm-hmm. because I remember reading that in the first two trailers, they never say Bruce Wayne. Okay. So the theory was that Ben Affleck is not playing Bruce Wayne. He is Batman. Right. But he's not Bruce Wayne. Like Terry, it'd be like someone like Terry McGinnis or. They... No, no. It, uh, the theory was uh, what if he's Deathstroke because Deathstroke also has a Butler in certain issues of the comic. And so also then what if Jeremy Irons is an Alfred uh, what if he is this other right. sort of butler figure? And uh, and we're just meant to think because it's a Batman movie. Right? And so the reveal was going to be at the end. He's not actually Bruce Wayne and would also lead into working in Christian Bale into the end of the movie as Batman, uh, bringing him back into that universe. And so I like connecting the Dark Knight with yeah. DCEU. And I was so excited for that because I was like, if they pull that off, they are movie legends. Oh yeah. You know, getting people to experience a Batman movie like sweet, but then at the end to be like, by the way, not Bruce Wayne, and here's your favorite Bruce Wayne ever. So I think that would have been cool, but as as like a as like a real time example, like watching Parasite is a movie that you should watch and not think about what's coming next. Oh, that is so true. Oh, that is so true. I found myself trying to anticipate what comes next. You can't. You can't. You really cannot. And I'm so much happier with what Parasite actually was than what my idea with Parasite was. Uh, usually, that's yeah. not the case. Usually, it's mm-hmm. oh, I really wish that would have happened instead. Um, but but with Parasite, I was trying to think like when they staying at the house overnight and the old housekeeper shows up. I I said out loud to my roommate who was watching it with me. I said, "All right, bold prediction." The rest of this movie takes place this night slash morning. Like the rest of the movie takes place in relatively real time. And that was not the case at all. 
No. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's. I think it's a better movie for it. And yeah, I, I just. It got to the point about about forty minutes into that movie, I just. I I, I stopped trying to anticipate what comes next. I'm just like, all right, Bong Joon Ho's taking me on a ride. Oh, yeah. I'm going with it. And, and uh, that is a movie where you definitely just need to sit back and let the ride happen. Yeah, exactly. And so that was the only last, that was the last prediction I ever made. And I was like, fine, whatever. What, the rest of the movie, I'm here for it. And yeah. So, um, so, no, so part of it is I just, my brain doesn't work that way to try to think mm-hmm. what's, what's coming next. Part of it is just in the internet age is hard. And part of it is, uh, I usually wind up liking my own stuff more and then I get disappointed with the movies, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always think that I can't turn it off because I I do write fiction. I write short stories, screenplays, all the that jazz. And I I kind of feel like it's just my br- not being able to shut my that part of my brain off when I'm watching stuff. So I'm trying to formulate what I think naturally would happen next and sometimes I'm right sometimes I'm wrong and when I'm wrong I typically like my theories better but that's because that's how I would do it it kind sure. of like you know like you were saying so sure well uh let's move on to the spinoff so what is the one thing that you want to tell people to either watch or to specifically stay away from you know what? I'm gonna go with a a Watt. It is an older movie. It is a French movie, but it is one of the best heist movies you will ever see. It is Rafifi. I think I've heard of this movie. Yes. So I I own the Criterion Blu-ray collection of this movie. So the setup for the the heist is phenomenal, and once you get into it, sound is key. And it makes you clench so much, and every little noise is crucial, and it is just phenomenal. So I, if you, yeah, watch that movie. Uh, yeah, watch that movie. Heck, watch anything from the Golden Age of Cinema. I'm really liking the Criterion. So just usually a little bit off of my budget, but I like heist movies, and I will check this one out. Mm-hmm. Um, add it to my list right now. Well, I will make sure to check out Rafifi at some point. Uh, I love heist movies. Um, the thing that I'm going to recommend, I'm going to recommend a book. Okay. I want to recommend this book for two reasons. So the book I'm going to recommend, it's a Tom Clancy book called Rainbow Six. Okay. And I got an Xbox 360 when I was uh, 13 years old because that's when they came out. The very first game I ever played on that was Rainbow Six mm-hmm. Vegas. And that was my introduction to Tom Clancy games. But I loved it so much, I started going back and playing Splinter Cell and playing okay. some of the original Rainbow Sixes. And you know, I even liked uh, Tom Clancy's End War, I think was was fine. I, I'll, I'll play anything with Tom Clancy on the title at this point. But I loved Rainbow Six Vegas so much, I wanted to go back and read the book. So I actually read it in high school. I haven't read it since. So it's okay. probably been eight years at this point. So so warning on that. But the, re- the other reason I want to recommend this specific book is because I'm currently we- reading Without Remorse by Tom Clancy. Okay. And a lot of the reason why I'm reading that is because the movie comes out in September. But I'm about 100 pages into the 750-page book, so I can't recommend Without Remorse just yet. I really like it. It's just I want to finish it before I recommend it. Okay. But Rainbow Six is also set to come out next year. So it's, it's also a 750-page book. Mass market paperback is fairly cheap. 
the hardcover. I recommend hardcover for a book that long. It's a phenomenal book. It's great storytelling. You don't need to read any of the books that take place chronologically before it to understand it. All these stories are fairly self-contained. The characters overlap sometimes, but you don't need to understand a character's past in these books. Anything you do need to understand, they will let you know. So it's it's riveting. It's uh, It's got a lot of character complexities mm-hmm. to it. The basis of this is there is a, a group formed six major countries for each of them having a counterterrorism specialty. Uh, okay. And they form a... It's essentially like a UN counterterrorism organization that is not bound by any government uh, except for like the UN directly. So right, it's like an elite squad. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an elite counterterrorism squad. Each country sends uh, like each of the six countries sends one operative, and you know one of them is a sniper, and one of them's uh, the leader, and one of them is uh, like ground leader, and one of them okay. is like tech- technical, and one of them's demolition. Like it's really, you know, it's it's. It's done that way, and because each of them are from different countries, you you don't. They're run by uh, by NATO. Like there's no like they're able to go in wherever, and they're able to um, like wherever they're authorized. And there's not really any like personal conflict or anything like that. It's like here's a group of good guys dedicated to be the good guys to go stop the bad guys from being more bad. It's it's excellent. Tom Clancy's a, yeah. an excellent writer. It's made me want to read more of his stuff since, but they're big commitments, obviously. And I'm I'm really happy re- reading without remorse right now. And I just if you like if you like any of the games, if you like anything military, you're a reader, and uh, you should really check out Rainbow Six. I, I will definitely have. I I got that form. I got that book from my dad one Christmas, and yeah, I just I haven't gone back. Like I I've I've never read it. Those. Like the size doesn't intimidate me. I just know that he goes on very detailed, like military jargon sometimes. And uh, sometimes that happens. And what I've found to be the experience is in the quote unquote Ryan verse novels, which is the books that have Jack Ryan or John Clark. Yeah. The Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, uh, Red Rabbit, Rainbow Six, things like that. It's not mm-hmm. so much. Uh, it's it's the other ones. It's like Op Center okay. and Net Force and things like that that are a little bit more like specific military rants. Uh, you you get right. you get small ones every now and then in Rainbow Six and some of the other ones. But my experience with them has been in short bursts. But you can also part of the reason why I think Tom Clancy is just a brilliant author is he understands military and he understands the jargon. He understands the terminology. Mm-hmm. He understands how everything works and he really does a good job of breaking it down and getting you on the same page as opposed to just being like a stock military thing where it's just like, and here's this yeah. gun and it's big and it goes boom. Or he's like, he, he's, he's very practical with this stuff. So um, keep it, keep in mind though, Rainbow Six takes place yeah. in the late nineties. The other thing is he, ne- he never tries to be overly technical. So like, it's never like futuristic stuff, at least from his okay. authorship um, usually. So yeah, so that's my recommend. I uh, really hope you guys go and check that out. Yeah. Because I am so excited for this movie. And I'm getting more excited for Without Remorse the more that I read this That's book. awesome. But that's, uh, that's a wrap. That's for us. Uh, quick reminder that Sip Pop Writer's Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. And if you're interested in writing for SifPop.com, you want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot or uh, send us some feedback, then email us at writersroom at sifpop.com. If you want to support the show, help out with some of the costs that we pay for out of pocket, such as fees, equipment, and rentals, Venmo, 
me at Schweikastle or DM me on Twitter for uh, or email me for a PayPal address to send some stuff to. Before we go, Dexter, where can people find you if they want to interact with you? I am on Twitter, mostly messing with Frank as much as I can. Um, my Twitter handle is Dexter RPG, D-E-X-T-E-R-R-P-G. Yeah, I've really enjoyed seeing the interactions with you and Frank in the last yeah. couple of weeks. It's been a, it's, it's been a fun time. Uh, yeah, and as always, you can find me emailing room at sivpop.com, or you can find me at Schweitcastle on Twitter. Interact with me, DM me, or, or start a conversation uh, on movies or whatever is picking your bone. Uh, you can also send questions uh, that way as well you want us to answer on the show. But I uh, uh, really appreciate having you on, Dexter. It's been a fun time talking with you. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll love to, to chat with you next time. Make sure to come back next week. Check out next Wednesday where I'm going to be talking with Ben about Watchmen. And we're going to be talking about The Old Guard, which is a new next Netflix movie coming out. But I uh, really appreciate having you on, Dexter. It's been great talking with you. And uh, we'll see you sometime again in the spring. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Hope you guys have a great week. And for us, we're going back to the writer's room. Mm-hmm.